Happy New Year to everyone. I hope you're off to a good start. Uh, we had a busy weekend, that's for sure. I've had my grandkids from Charlotte uh, all last week, and we celebrated New Year's Eve with my three grandsons. And then on New Year's Day, I spent the whole day working at my mom's apartment trying to straighten some things out. I drove all the way down to Virginia Beach, a couple of hours from where I'm at. And then uh, on the next day, Sunday, I had to drive halfway to Charlotte and meet my daughter in Danville. Man, I'm, you know, I'm not going to complain. <laughs> I drive a lot, even when we're not on the road. Um, we just got, uh, I guess, about six inches of snow or something here in Richmond, Virginia. I'm sure some of you guys that listen, if you're, you were in the snow zone, kind of throws things off a little bit. But uh, thank God it's, it's going to clear up the rest of the week, it looks like. Maybe we got a chance of uh, snow or rain near the end of the week. But nevertheless, uh, we're going to start this year off with a, a topic that I think we all need to learn about, and I learn as I study this stuff and, and uh, try to kind of teach it, I guess, through this podcast. Uh, we're going to talk about confidence, the importance of confidence. You know, I am a guitar player, and I, I probably got, I don't know, at least 20 to 25 uh Effects boxes, stomp boxes, pedals, they call them. I usually use maybe eight or ten at a time, and then I've got a, another digital device that has thousands of effects in it. And uh, what we, we guitar players are sometimes, we're, we're what's called tone chasers. We're always trying to find the next cool sound and tone. And what happens is we, <coughs> we hear somebody... You know, whether it's a, a Jimi Hendrix or a Stevie Ray Vaughan or, you know, Eric Clapton or Eddie Van Halen, you know, these these pretty high-profile guitar player people, and then we go chasing a tone, something like that. They called Eddie Van Halen's sound the brown sound, and, you know, the Internet wasn't around when he came out, so it was a little bit more of a journey to try to figure out how is this guy getting these sounds? You know, there's something about his playing. And so we go out and, man, millions and millions of dollars are spent by guitar players chasing tone, trying to get a sound. And we find out that the tone really doesn't come from necessarily the amplifier or those effects pedals. Um, you take someone like an Eddie Van Halen, uh, rest in peace, uh, he could pick up a piece of junk guitar with no effects and still have this amazing tone and sound. And so, you know, uh, what guitar players say is tone is in the hands or tone is from the elbow to the tip of your finger on your left hand. Um, what they're saying is that the authority uh, of that playing, that, that where that tone comes from is confidence. And, and we're going to talk about confidence. You see, I can decorate my sound with all these fancy pedals. Some of them cause the, the guitar to echo. Some of them are modulation devices, and they make swishy sounds. And some of them are octave-type devices and all sorts of different you know, distortion devices and all that kind of thing. But I can decorate my, my attempt at tone. I can decorate my guitar sound um, with all these bells and whistles and still sound like crap, for lack of a better word, because tone really is uh, about confidence 
in your playing. Even if the playing is simple, there's a certain authority to it because of the confidence. And that's true of football players. That's true of other types of musicians, of people in business. There's a certain flair because they have confidence, even in public speakers. You know, I heard a public speaker recently and and, uh, his... uh, Humor, his attempts at humor were kind of weak, you know, but there was a, a level of confidence that he just kept right on rolling and preached a wonderful message uh, because there was, an, uh, there was an authority because he had confidence. Sometimes we can decorate our lives with all sorts of bells and whistles, trying to prop up some sort of confidence. You know, if I own this, if I have this big house, if I have this nice car, if I have this job, if I have all this, then I can have confidence. But the fact of the matter is, is that you can't fake real confidence. And so we're going to get into that, but there's two types of confidence I want to talk about in this series, at least as I, you know, study this, by the way, you know, though I'll draw on past experiences and illustrations and things like that, um, it's always a learning experience for me or a relearning experience for me as I do this. So uh, this may only be two parts. I'm going to talk about two types of confidence or it may go longer as, as I, as I dig deeper into it and I'll just share my findings. Um, Before we get into self-confidence, which is important, okay, we do need self-confidence. I'm not talking about pride. I'm not talking about being haughty. I'm talking about healthy self-confidence, and I'm really looking forward to talking about that. But we as believers, first and foremost, must have confidence in God, plain and simple. That has to be our firm foundation because our confidence, our self-confidence has a tendency to ebb and flow through life. We go through setbacks and we lose confidence. We leak confidence and we have to reestablish confidence in ourselves. But if we have that firm foundation of confidence in God, we can trust that even when we are weak, He is strong. Amen? Amen. So when I thought about confidence, I I immediately, you know, I think back, here's why it's important, I think, to stay in the Word of God and to memorize Scripture, meditate on Scripture, because, you know, when I hear the word confidence, I I associate, um, you know, Scriptures with it. Where where, where have I heard confidence in the Bible? You know, sometimes I go to bed, for example, I haven't did this lately, but when I'm struggling to fall asleep, this may be weird, but I'll go through the alphabet in my head just kind of meditating on scripture, I guess. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll sit there and try to, you know, slow my mind down. I'll say, A, uh, what's, what's, what's the scripture associated with A? I am the Alpha and the Omega. God, yep, Jesus is the beginning and the end. He that began a good work in me will be faithful to complete it. I'll go to B, you know, and I'll think of a scripture that's associated with B. I'm not going to go through all of them for you right now. But I planted that word in me and why it's important to constantly plant the word of God in our hearts because the Holy Spirit has something to work with when we go through certain circumstances. So anyway, uh, when I thought about confidence, the first scripture that came to my mind is is where Paul wrote in the book of Philippians, uh, chapter 1, 3 through 6. He said, I thank my—well, actually, the, the line that came to my mind is this, with this was, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. Um, that's the end of that passage. 
And so I thought of that scripture, and then the next thing I do when I'm studying the word is I start looking at key words in a scripture. Let me read the whole thing. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So I go through a passage like that, and I go, where are the key words? Well, obviously, the key word I'm focusing on today is confidence. So when Paul says, I'm being confident of this, I'm being confident that Jesus is going to finish the work he began in you, what does that word mean? So I'll go to something like Bible Hub, and I'll look at the lexicon, lexicon. Uh, the Strong's Concordance, you know, it's all online. And I'll say, what did that, what, what, when he wrote that word, it was written in Greek. What did that word mean that we translate to confident? It means to be persuaded of what is trustworthy. Confidence and God and trust in God are pretty much the same thing. And there's another name for confidence in God, by the way. It's the word faith. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. That word in the Greek for faith is pistis, which means being persuaded to trust, like a guarantee. And so faith and confidence in the Bible, uh, confidence in God, are interchangeable. Now faith is confidence. Luke 18.8, Jesus said, however, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Same word, pistis, meaning uh, to trust, uh, uh, to be persuaded to trust. Uh, there's, there's, a, there's emphasis on that word persuaded now. We're going to get to that. Being persuaded to trust. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find people that are still persuaded to trust in God? Ephesians 2.8, Paul wrote, for it is by Grace that you've been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. And again, the word faith, for it is by grace that you have been saved through trust in God, through being persuaded to trust God. This is not from yourself, it is the gift of God. One commentary says that faith, pistis, is always a gift from God and never something that can be produced by people. In short, faith for the believer is God's divine persuasion and therefore distinct from human belief or confidence, yet involving it. And so we can't produce supernatural faith. We can't produce supernatural confidence in God. God puts that in us, but... We can grow it. God gives us the ability. Now, when I use the word faith and I use the word confidence, we're talking about the same thing in this podcast. We're talking about trust in God, being persuaded to trust God. So we can't initiate that. We are born again, and suddenly there's an inner knowing that God is there. He's for me. I can trust him. However, We can grow that faith that he puts in us or or not. We can let it stagnate. We can can, uh, be people with little faith. Remember Jesus saying, O ye of little faith to the disciples? And then he said of some, I've not seen such great faith in all of Israel. 
Uh, when the Canaanite woman who kept badgering Jesus to heal her daughter, he, and he commented that she had great faith. And so we can grow our confidence in God. We can grow our faith, our persuasion that God can be trusted. How? By using what we have. Listen, if we are not doing something with what God has already given us, we don't. Our faith is not going to grow. Let me give you an illustration. Think I, I think about you know I've got a brand new grandson, Joe Dutch, Joe Dutch Mason, and I think he's probably coming up on about three months old, and he's still just a helpless little baby. Now he couldn't create himself, you know. He obviously we need the miracle of of you know God to make babies be born, but it also takes a mom and dad, right? And so, but as he, as he grows. Uh, he will have to make decisions, and and for whatever reason, you know, we're kind of when we're when we're new in our faith, brand new in our faith, uh, it, it seems like man, God is answering prayers. All things are new, and we we have a level of trust. I mean, if you've been truly born again, it was like you know, I just know that I know that I know, man. Let's. I'm nobody has to tell me to go to church. I'm going to church. I want I want to grow in my faith. And we're seeing little miracles, you know. Uh, when we first start to tithe, for example, and we start to give to our church, maybe we've never given to our church or to missions, and we start to give and we see God. I remember when I first came to the Lord, you know, we were living in an apartment that cost $90 a month. I was working at a grocery store making $4.25 an hour, and my wife was working at a fast food joint, and uh, we were barely making ends meet. We were behind on everything. If you heard any of my testimony, we were about to have our lights turned off, you know. But I said, you know what? We're going to give because, I mean, the preacher says we should be giving, you know. And so we started to tithe. And Man, I, God just made wild things happen. I remember we we ended up getting like three hundred dollars back from the oil company. We had oil heat where you had to have the oil tank filled, you know, in the winter, and somehow we'd overpaid them. Just little miracles. Then I got a raise. I got put on salary at work. Just little. I, man, it was just crazy, you know. So, and when we first get saved, we're so excited about I finally made a decision to follow Jesus with all my heart. He is not part of my life. He is my life. He is the foundation, then, and everything will come together if I just put Jesus on the throne of my life. And so like a baby, we have this trust. And, you know, <clears throat> when you look at a, a baby when they're first learning to walk, okay, those of you that have had children, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And even if you haven't, you've seen this happen. The baby is crawling around on the floor, and then it starts to stand up and balance itself with a table or something. And it's learning to stand, you know, and then, you know, mom and dad will use their fingers and the baby will grab the right and left finger and they'll try to walk the baby. But eventually that day is going to come when the baby is holding onto a table and mom or dad is holding their arms out and they're saying, come on, come on, come on, to take those first steps. And the first steps, that baby will take a one step or two step and then fall into the parent's arms. They trust that I'm going to do this. I'm going to step out. I'm not going to stay stay a rug rat. Uh, there's something internally that says I'm supposed to be standing upright and walking. I am going to trust that if I will let go of this, this table or whatever they're balancing themselves on, if I will let go, 
and just walk, keep my eyes on my mom or my dad or, or whoever that they're going to catch me if I fall. Isn't that amazing? What a parallel to our own faith and how we grow our faith. Now, listen, too, too many Christians spend their lives crawling around on the floor, you know, or, you know, when I work that grocery store job, I call this the green floor syndrome. Um, I worked there for five years while I was in college. I mean, part, part of the time I wasn't saved, and then I got saved, and I was just happy to have a job, and, and then I started going to college. So for five years, I worked at this grocery store, and it had this ugly green tile floor. And I worked, it was, it was, even in the 80s, it was a produce department at least the size of your typical super Walmart. It was, it was what, the store was called Farm Fresh Super Saving Center. And it was one of the first gigantic stores, definitely in the area that I lived in. It had a clothing section, a book section, and all these different things inside of it other than groceries. A massive store, massive produce department. We had over 20 guys on the roster to work that produce department. And, uh, but I felt trapped by that green floor. I thought, my gosh, I, I'm so tired of being, I, you know, I don't go anywhere else in the store unless I absolutely have to go get something out of another department or whatever. But it was like I'm trapped in this, on this green floor, and I couldn't wait to see the bigger world. You know, and then I became a police officer eventually after I graduated college, and I worked in a sector, the red sector of the city of Norfolk. And then within that sector, there were districts. And I would work a district. You know, they were numbered 133, 134, 132, 135, 136, different neighborhoods and areas. So my green floor expanded to a district. And, and that was cool. But soon it was like, man, this district, this sector, I'm so tired of driving these same streets. You know, I'm, I'm trapped in this section. And, and then I ended up becoming a detective. And so now we were given kind of whole sections of the city of Norfolk that we investigated, whatever. I worked in auto squad. I worked in burglary squad. Um, and so I would handle all the burglaries that came in from a whole section of the city. I would get the reports, and I would investigate those. And that was cool. But again, it became like, well, there's more to this city. And, and, and then I went to forensics, and that was a citywide position. Now I was responding to calls all over the city of Norfolk. So my green floor expanded from the green floor to a, a, a sector and a district to part of the city to the whole city. Well, guess what? Eventually it was like, man, this is getting boring. There's got to be more. And little by little, you know, I became a youth pastor and, and became, you know, traveled all over the country. And even in what we do today, it's like, you know, I don't know, maybe one day God's going to call us and open doors and we should press some buttons or turn some knobs and see if God wants to use us internationally in prison ministry or, or any other kind of ministry. Um, but you hear what I'm saying is that we should be progressing. We should be growing. We shouldn't remain rugrats. But that's going to that's gonna require that we let go of the table and we trust God and we take the next step, whatever that may be. And I'm not talking about random risks, okay? No, we keep in step with the Holy Spirit, and, and He will lead, and He will guide, and there will be an inner knowing that we're supposed to take a step. And so when we, you know, talk about uh, 
I'm, I'm going to talk about money in a minute, but uh, when when we were working for, uh, well, this is going to be an illustration about money. Uh, um, you know, money is a place that God is going to stretch our faith, plain and simple, because he knows it's the biggest competitor for master of our lives or Lord of our lives. Remember the rich young ruler? That was the one thing, his money. He wouldn't let go of his money. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. And if there's one thing that God wants from us, it's not perfection. It's not that we go out and do a bunch of ministry. Matter of fact, Jesus said, many will come come to me in that day and say, didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we do all these great things in your name? And he'll say, depart from me. I never knew you. So it's not about work. God wants our heart. You know, and, and, you know, he's called the bridegroom, and we are the bride, the church. Well, if there's one thing my wife, my bride wants from me, and I want from her, it's her heart. I know she's not going to be perfect. She knows I'm not going to be perfect. Look, I could just lavish all sorts of wonderful gifts on her, give her anything her heart desired. But if she doesn't have my heart, we're missing the mark of what marriage is supposed to be about. And our marriage to Christ is supposed to be about our heart being attached to his. And if he has our heart, he will lead us and he will guide us to take steps when we need to. And, and, uh, you know, true, we may get it wrong from time to time. We may miss an opportunity or we may fail to take a, a step that we should have taken or we may make a misstep. God just wants our heart. He, he has promised that even if we do that, he will steer us. He will use all those things and work them together for good um, because he has called us. And so, you know, we were uh, on, the, on the crux of launching Life on the Verge and really had no idea. Matter of fact, back then, I don't even think we knew that we were going to call it Life on the Verge. We, I just knew, man, there's a dream in my heart for so long. I've wanted to you know, go out and reach people outside the boundaries of church life. I love making disciples in church, but I have this evangelistic heart that wants to go to people that I feel like you know, I may have a, a niche for communicating the gospel with. You know, I, I go back to, no, I'm not boasting in myself, I'm boasting in God, trust me, but we had a, uh, a prison event that we did and a guy was there and, and, you know, we rocked out, we used music, which, uh, you know, is a great bridge builder, it's what we do, and, uh, and then I shared the gospel, you know, in a way that, that I think is, a, a, I don't know, just a, an effective way to share it, really with anybody, but definitely with inmates. You know, I talked about, you know, we, we, that we've all committed sins, we've all contributed to this system of sin, we're all guilty, all of our names are on the docket, and we want perfect justice. There's something internal that in us that says there must, there should be justice and how there's tons of people that won't get caught for the wrongs they do in this life, but there's a docket in heaven, and trust me, those charges will be present. And the only way to have your name removed from that docket is to believe on Jesus. Something like that is the way I shared it. And as I was walking off the platform that day, I walked by this gentleman, older gentleman, in a wheelchair and he grabbed my arm like passionately and pulled me down. Oh, it startled me. He pulled me down and he, he said in my ear, he said, man, I've been an atheist most of my life. I helped launch the Church of Satan in Orlando, Florida. I've been an outlaw biker all of my life. 
And I've, I've never heard the gospel presented like that, and I, I gave my life to Jesus today. Wow, man. You know, and that that is, I, I feel like the way that we present, I just knew that in me there was a desire to do that. Like, I know the guys I grew up with, the outlaw mindset, and maybe I could be effective at sharing the gospel with those folks using music and, and whatnot. And, and surely God has, has shown that to be the case. But Back in the day, before we launched Life on the Verge, it was kind of coming to a crux. We were trying to keep in step with the Spirit, not miss God, not make a foolish, uh, take a foolish risk too soon, but not to miss the opportunity when it presented itself. And uh, so we were feeling like we were on the way out, like this is this is it, you know, uh, something is about to happen. And I'd been invited to that first Sturgis trip where I've, I've shared that I met my friend Tony, who introduced me to prison ministry, musicianary ministry in prison. Um, but that never would have happened. Anyway, we're mo- moving up to it. So we're preserving every dollar. And I've probably shared this story before, too. But our church took up what's called a miracle offering every year. And at, by that time, I wasn't super in tune with everything that church was doing. Um, so the last thing on my mind was giving some over and above amount to this particular church. But I'm always encouraged by the widow, and I wouldn't say this church is corrupt, okay, but the, the widow that gave her two pennies or two mites in the offering plate, where that happened, when Jesus said she gave more than all of you, where that happened was in a church setting or, or a synagogue setting where Jesus was rebuking the leaders of that synagogue. So it was somewhat of a corrupt church, yet this lady's heart was in the right place. And so I said, you know what? I just feel like we're supposed to do this. We're supposed to test our faith. We're supposed to let go of the table and take a step toward God. And, and so Susan and I decided that we would give $500 uh, to this miracle offering. And uh, we did. We didn't have it to give. It was definitely letting go of the table and taking a few steps toward God. It wasn't about the church. It was about God checking my heart, testing my heart. You know, giving is one way God tests our, or keeps our greed in check. And uh, and so we did it. And I'm telling you, a week or two later, uh, a, a gift of $5,000 came in toward that first Sturgis trip. I'm, I'm sure I've shared that story before because it was a breakthrough moment. We would never would have made it to Sturgis without that gift. And so we'll know when it's time to take a step of faith, to grow our faith, to grow our confidence in God, our trust in God, to be, we'll know we're being challenged to be once again persuaded that God can be trusted. Jesus will, quote, bid us to come, like he did Peter, out of the boat. So our deepest confidence can't be in ourselves, though we need self-confidence, and we'll talk about that. Our deepest, deepest confidence must be in God. Why? Because God wants to use our experience, <coughs> excuse me, to redeem other people. And if we're not excited about the things God is doing in our lives, our faith is not going to be contagious. Hear me? You know, it's the the word of my testimony of what I've seen God do. He has persuaded me time and time again. It's one reason that uh, I journal is because I need to go back sometimes and remind myself of the things that God has done to be persuaded again that God can be trusted. You know, when I think about um, 
giving, for example. And again, money is a huge place, man. That's where God will, it's not the only place, but it is a huge place where God will test our faith because he knows we cling so tightly to it. We worry so much about, am I going to have enough for me and mine? And uh, so I go back to Matthew 24 and 25. I did a whole series called Stay Ready, Stay Full, Stay Busy. And Matthew 24 and 25 Listen, if you're looking for a place to let go of the table and step out, what should we be doing to test our faith in the arena of finance, for example? And this isn't just a message on finance, but but hear me out here. This is a place where God will, will stretch us and, and attempt to persuade us that he can be trusted. It's how we grow our confidence in God, one of the ways that we grow our confidence in in God. So Matthew 24, Jesus gives all the signs of his return, basically saying, I'm coming back, stay ready. Then he gives right into the parable of the virgins in the oil. And the illustration there is to stay full of the Holy Spirit. Oil is symbolic of the Holy Spirit. Stay full of the Holy Spirit. Stay ready, stay full. And then he goes straight into the parable of the talents. He's saying, stay busy, put to work what I've given you. Talents, by the way, were bags of gold. It was money. Jesus talked a lot about money. He was saying, look, I'm going to give you some money and I expect a return on it. There were no cell phones. There were no email. The master went off to a faraway country. There was no, hey, let's call the master and ask him if this is a good decision. He was saying, look, use your own confidence and, and step out and do something with what I've given you. Then he goes straight into the parable of the sheep and the goats. So he says, basically, I'm not going to read the whole thing. It can be found in Matthew 25, 31 uh, through 30, no, through 46. Um, He's basically saying, look, feed the hungry, quench the thirsty, help the stranger, clothe the naked, comfort the sick, and visit those in prison. Go do this with what I've given you. We should be investing our lives in some way in those areas and and keeping in mind that ultimately the goal is to fulfill the Great Commission. Um, you know, when Jesus healed that paralytic in, in uh, I can't remember where it's at, but it's in the New Testament, <laughs> he said, your sins are forgiven. He was His first attention was to the spiritual needs of people. And so that's our, our ultimate goal. But we should be making the most of every opportunity to grow our faith. And we're all given different opportunities in life. I heard a preacher describe the word opportunity like the def- where it comes from, the Latin and all that, is when the conditions are right in a harbor for a ship to set sail, the tide comes in, now make the move. And that's why we stay in step with the Holy Spirit. It might not be money. It might be stepping out on a mission trip, which is going to cost money. It might be stepping out in your place of business to do something. Um, but it's how we grow our faith. It's how we develop our confidence in God. And if we don't do that, if we never let go of the table, if we just stay a rug rat, we're not going to be excited about our faith. Therefore, we're not going to share it. You know, I, I don't have to go through a bunch of apologetics trying to convince people to believe God because, uh, the man with an experience is never at the mercy of a of a man with an argument. So I don't go there. You know, I'll say, look, I have my doubts. I have my confusion. There's things I don't understand. But here's what I know. Here's why I'm persuaded that God is active in my life. So before we get into the idea of developing self-confidence, which is absolutely necessary, it's got to be rooted in confidence in God or faith because faith now faith is confidence. 
Hebrews 11.1. 1. I hope that helped, and I, I pray that God gives you opportunity to stretch your faith this week in whatever way. You know, just, just keep in step with the Holy Spirit, and you'll know when the tide comes in and the conditions are right to launch the ship, to let go of the table and take a step and do something that requires faith that will grow your faith. Do all you can where you are with what you have, and God won't leave you where you're at. Amen and amen. Happy New Year, and have a great week. I want to remind you that we're a completely donor-funded ministry. You can learn more about Life on the Verge at lifeontheverge.com. You can hear more of our music at theplunders.com or on any streaming service.